We're in the last section of the book, basically of the book of Genesis. The focus is on the life of Joseph. You remember there are four key people in the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, he's a very special man raised up by God to preserve the nation of Israel. That's really what he, That's why he's taken there, if you, if you realize it. Remember he says toward the end that his brothers meant it for evil when they sold him into slavery, but God meant it for good. Joseph is sometimes called, and I want to show you this, he's sometimes called or seen as a type of Christ. Now, think about this, that Joseph was sent by his father, rejected by his family, and the savior of his nation. In that same way, Jesus was sent by the father, rejected by his family, the Jewish people. John 1, 11, he came into his own, and his own received him not. But he's the savior of the world. So sometimes people look at Joseph and see him as a type or a foreshadow of Christ, since he is sent by the father and family rejected him, but he ends up saving his people. Jesus Christ, the same way, he saves all of us. There's so much in this final section as we see his life. And there are a couple of issues I want you to think about as we look in this section tonight in, in verse 30, in chapter 39. Two things. One is to remember that God is always with us because that's what we're seeing in Joseph's life. He's there and he's working on all the events, even the bad things. Because when you look at this, you'd say, did, what did Joseph do wrong to get thrown in a well and then taken all to slavery? Nothing. And then what, what's, what's Joseph going to do wrong tonight because he ends up in prison? You know, well, what did he do? Nothing. So, But God's with us even there. And then the second one, how do we deal with temptation? Because this is what we're seeing in Joseph's life. We have a study we've been doing in Sunday school, uh, the study on temptation. It's been a good while. We've been a number of weeks in it, and we've seen a lot of things. We've even seen the passage. We actually studied this passage on Sunday morning in Sunday school, seeing Joseph and how he dealt with temptation. So there's some great things there. May we rest in our God, really, who is who is with us always, and, and we want to learn how to deal with temptation in our lives. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's do this. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you again, Lord, for the privilege of coming together with fellow believers. Thank you for the great meal that we had. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together and we can pray and we can study the Word of God and we can rejoice and lift up our voices in praise and adoration to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that the things that were written in the Old Testament, the things that were written in the past, were written for our instructions so that we can see things there that we can make application in our lives. Lord, thank you for the Word of God, which is perfect. We thank you for Jesus Christ and how you loved us so much that you sent your Son and he died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life so lord we thank you for for that great truth there the great message of salvation as as by grace through faith lord we just ask you tonight that as we think about joseph and his life that you would teach us we ask all of this in jesus name amen well, temptation and this there, it's, it's something we face daily. We talked a lot about it in my Sunday school class. Uh, temptation, where does it come from? How does it affect us? In First John, we saw that temptation comes from three big areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the things that affect our, our lives, the things that we see, and the whole idea of the pride. It's our desires. It's our wants. It's, our, you know, it's all of that. It, it, it comes, listen to this. And without turning there, I just want you to listen to, just as James uh, chapter 1 And I want you to listen to this part, what it says about sin. James chapter 1 verse 13 says this. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and himself does not tempt anyone. God's not going to bring a temptation in your life to make you sin. That's not his plan. But look what he says about temptation. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own 
lust. That's the flesh. We're tempted. Our flesh, we're in a fallen world controlled by Satan. This whole fallen world affects our flesh. And so we're tempted uh, when we're carried away, enticed by our own lust. And then it says this, and when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So we see that there's temptation. Temptation is not sin, but there's temptation. The temptation come. We're pulled by the flesh. If we yield to that, it, it says we're carried away and then lust has conceived. It gives birth to sin. And of course, what does sin do? When it is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so it's some powerful things there when you think about temptation. In our study on Sunday school, we've been seeing all kind of things about the temptations and where does it come from and how does how does it all fit. And we realize this, and I said it a while ago, that temptation is not sin. It is the pull to sin. It is not Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin. But uh, we are tempted and how we respond to temptation is going to result in sin or not. Sometimes we can have victory. Sometimes we don't. Uh, we can, let me say it this way. Uh, we can always have victory. Victory. Sometimes we don't have victory, but we can always have victory. As we continue this evening, that every one of us uh, in this fallen world attempted, we're pulled by our own flesh to go against the Word of God. How do we deal with it? As we continue looking at Joseph, we're going to see some key truths to help us in the whole issue of temptation. If you've been in Sunday school class, uh, you've heard this story before, but there's some, there's some different things that I wanted to bring out in this passage as we look at it tonight. Let's remember where we are. Joseph is in Egypt. He has been sold as a slave. He belongs to a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguards, basically. He's one of the most important men in all of Egypt. Joseph's brothers, if you remember, they, uh, they sold him into slavery. They didn't like him. We'll talk more about that. But one of the things we realize that God is with Joseph, even even when he's in a slave, even when he's down in Egypt. God is blessing him, but even in the midst of the blessing, there's also temptation. So as we think about this, two things stand out for us, really. One is that we've got to rest in God. We've got to realize he's always with us. But even when he's with us, that doesn't mean we won't face temptation. So we need to learn how to deal with temptations in our lives. So two things, resting in God, trusting him because he's always with us. That's what we see in Joseph's life. He's always with him. But learn how to deal with the whole idea of temptations. Well, let's think about it. Let me give you a little background. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. The twelve sons, he was the favored one. He was hated by his brothers. Why? Because he had dreams. And in his dreams, he told them that they would all bow down to him. They didn't like that. His father gave him a special coat, if you remember, made him stand out. He was favored by the father and, and, and uh, all of these things. So his brothers didn't, didn't like him, and they sold him into slavery to Egypt and into Potiphar. And as we see this chapter, since we saw it, we started it last time in chapter 39. We went through about the verse, oh, oh about the first ten verses last time. This time we're going to start get, kind of get a running start, but we'll get into it. As we see this chapter, God is with Joseph even in the bad times. He's blessing him even in the bad times, and he's protecting him even in the bad times. The second thing we see in this passage, which I think is powerful, is how do we respond to temptation? And I think there's a thing that you remember that when this is all over, when we say it's all over, when this chapter is over, Joseph is not only a slave, but he's in prison. We would say, that's not that great. And here's the thing about it. What did Joseph do wrong? Absolutely nothing. And sometimes we, when things go wrong in people's lives, we, we, if something happens in our lives, we think, gee, what, wonder what I might have done. Wonder, wonder how I've messed up. Why would this happen to me? And just because something happens to us 
doesn't mean we've done something wrong because you look at Joseph's life. The key is that we've got to trust God in all of this. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 1. Let me just give you a running start. In verse 1 it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So this man buys him, and and, uh, one of the things about it, uh, you see right at the start of verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's a slave in Egypt. It doesn't matter if he's sitting on a throne somewhere. God is with him. And the same is true with us. God is with us. Now, notice the Lord was with Joseph, and so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the master uh, of his master, the Egyptian. Now, watch this. God blesses him, blesses him over and over and over. How God called, in fact, verse 3 says, Now, his master saw the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he had and all that he did to prosper. It goes down to verse 5. Notice, it came about that from that time he, Potiphar, made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, owned in his house and in the field. Now, Joseph is being blessed by God, and whoever Joseph is with is being blessed by God. Sometimes we don't understand this. We talked about it last week, that when you live for Jesus Christ and God blesses your life, he can use you to bless other people's lives to touch other people's lives for Christ. Now, the very end of verse 6, because verse 6 says basically that everything was in Joseph's charge. Joseph becomes the, the basically the steward of the household and takes care of everything. But the very end of verse 6 is kind of gets us ready for what's going to happen. Verse 6 says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Well, we're going to see that the writer, Moses, is letting us know now that Joseph's a handsome man. And what's going to be happen, happening here is Potiphar's wife is going to be attracted to him. She's going to want him. Well, how do we deal with it? Now, here's the question that, uh, the, the thing I want you to remember. Just because we're living for God doesn't mean we're exempt from temptation or problems. You can live for Jesus Christ and say, I want my life to count for Christ. I want to live for him. That doesn't mean that you won't have problems or, or temptations. Sometimes if you turn on the television or you read certain people's books, their impression is that if you become a believer and live for God, everything is going to be perfect. Everything's going to be fine. In fact, there's some people who teach that if you're really living for God, you won't be sick. You won't have problems. You can name it and claim it. If you want a house, you get a house. If you want a car, you get a car. God's obligated to do that for you because you're living for him. He's obligated to give you what you want. And if you're not getting what you want and if bad things happen to you, obviously you're not spiritual. You're not doing what God wants you to do. If you're sick and you're not healed, it's because that you're not living right. Well, the truth is this. Just because we are living for God doesn't mean we're exempt from problems, trials, and temptations. Not everything goes right in our eyes. We may say, that doesn't look right. God says, well, it doesn't look right to you because you can't see the whole picture because I'm working all things together for good. So we have to trust God. Well, what happens? Verse 7. We saw this last week. It came about that after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. I mean, we had to just get right down and say what it is. She looked at him. She wanted to have sex with him. You know, I imagine Potiphar was out a lot. <laughs> Captain of the bodyguard, he's gone a lot. She says he's gone. When he's gone, this is, this is what I want. How does he respond to this? We, we are most open for failure when we're successful. You ever thought about that? You know, when things are not going great, you're trust, you know, you're sort of trusting God and you're saying, God, why is this happening to me? Lord, help me, help me. But when things are going really good, sometimes we let down the barriers. Sometimes we think everything's good. What could happen to me? Well, you could look at Joseph and it's not good to be a slave, but everything is going good in this household. 
And his master recognizes that, and he's been raised up to the top position in one of the top men in all of the kingdom. So you could say that here's God taking a slave and using him in an amazing way. Well, how does this this temptation is going to come? Because she actually says to him, lie with me. She wants to have sexual relations with him. There are four things, I think, that stand out when we think about how to deal with temptation. Here's the first one. The first one is realize that trust will be broken when we sin and fail. Look what he says, verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in his house than I am. He and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such great evil and sin against God? Now the first part of verses eight and nine basically are saying he understands that his master trusts him, and if he were to sin, he will break, the trust will be broken. You realize that in our lives that we've got a lot of friends, we've got a lot of people that look to each of us. There are a lot of you in this room that we look to each other and say. That's a good guy. That's a good girl. That's a good girl. You can trust them. You can do this. When we, when we blow it, it breaks trust. People say things like, golly, I never thought he would do that. And so one of the things we need to realize is that, that sin breaks trust with those around us. We've all heard of pastors who sin and lose their churches. We've heard of people who are in certain places of responsibility and they mess up and they and they lose their jobs. They lose trust is broken. People say, "Well, I, I don't trust that person anymore." So what does he say? He says, "Listen, my master has doesn't concern himself with anything. He's put everything that he owns in my charge. Nobody's greater than me. I've got it all except you. He, did, you know, so I, I can't do that. So the very first thing is realize that he says, "My master trusts me. I respect him." When we are tempted, we need to think about who, you know, I don't want to put like pedestal for people, but who trusts us? Who depends on us? Who looks to us? Every one of us in this room, there are people who look to you and say, now that's a Christian. That's the kind of person I want to be. They look to you. There may be younger people who look to you. There may be older people who look to you. There, there are people that look at us and they say things like, wow, I, I hope, I hope I can be like that. If we blow it, there's going to be a lot of people hurt. There's going to be a lot of people who say, I just, I didn't think they'd do that. He says, I can't let my master down. So when temptation comes, just remember, it's not just you that will be affected. It's not just us when we say, this is just between me and me and me and God, maybe, or whatever, you know. It's, it, it can affect a lot of people. We've said many times that we never sin in a vacuum. Never sin in a vacuum. Always affects others. There's a second thing, though, that we see, that sin is against God. It's evil. Notice what he says at the very end of verse 9. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God. So not only is trust broken when we sin, but it's sin is against God. It's evil. In Proverbs 15.3 it says, The eyes of the Lord go everywhere in every place beholding good and evil. Sometimes we think that it doesn't matter what we do, but we have to realize that we, 
we represent Jesus Christ and we're connected with him and we're in fellowship with him and we're supposed to live for him and we know what's right and wrong and when we sin, sin is against God. We may think, well, it, it doesn't, it was really not against God. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. He knew what was right and wrong. He knew that sin would be against God. He would be sinning against the Creator, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Master. The same is true that when we sin, we're sinning against the One who created us and saved us and loved us and and all of these things. So when we sin, two things to think about in this. Number one, trust will be broken. Number two, sin is against God. So there's more. What happens? Notice this temptation. It's not a one-time deal. As she spoke to Joseph day, this is verse 10, day after day. He did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Day after day. Realize that when temptation comes, we can have victory, but it doesn't mean it's not going to come again. Let's say that something happens and you gain the victory. You go, hey, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fall. That doesn't mean that's never going to happen again. In fact, it may come right back. It may come right. Here's the third thing. The first one is trust will be broken. Second, sin is against God. The third thing is don't even consider sin. Do not consider sin. Look what it says. She spoke to him day after day. He did not, what? Listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't even consider it. You know, sometimes on things when people say this, the best thing to do is to say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not even going to think about that. Thank you. Thank you, but I, I'm not going to consider that. When temptation comes in our life, one of the best things we could ever do is say, I'm not going to even think about that or, you know, whether it's a mental thing, whether it's something we could be looking at, whatever it is. The very best thing to do is just say, I'm not even going to consider that. We don't even allow, he doesn't allow the temptation to stay in his life or in his mind. Hey, look, she probably even said things like, okay, okay, we don't have to do it. Just come over here and lay beside me. Because look what it says. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Okay, listen, just just come be close to me. Just be close to me. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking anything else right now. Just be close to me. He said, I'm, I, I'm not going to be close to you. I'm not going to be around you. I'm not going to consider this. I'm not going to think about this. I'm just, I can't let this get into my mind. Luther said this, you can't stop the birds from flying around your head, but you can stop them from making a nest. And the thoughts and the temptations, we may not can stop them, but we can stop them from stopping with us, you might say. We don't have to think. We don't have to consider it. Because remember we taught last Sunday morning, what you put in, you what? You get out. What goes in comes out. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If we put in MTV, we're coming out MTV. That's right. We put in the Word of God. What's supposed to come out? The Word of God. That's the kind we talked about putting in the Word of God and living out the truth and being faithful. And this all ties together. Listen, he said, I'm not, I'm not even going to consider this. There's one other thing. You remember he said, Whenever there's sin, trust could be broken. So you got to think about that. You're going to break the trust with people. Number two, that sin is against God. Number three, he wouldn't even consider it. And number four, leave the situation. Leave the temptation. Get away from it. If there's something there that you can get away, get away. I don't know, I don't know what Joseph did every day. We know he, he, he controlled the household. 
It could be that when she started this day after day, he would say, I've got to, I've, I'm gone. I'm going out and I'm going to do something. I'm going to go count the cows. I'm going to go do something else. You know, I'm the steward of the house. I'm going to go make sure everything's okay. I'm not staying in this situation. Leave the situation. He says he would not get with her. He would not lie with her to be with her. He would not do any of that. The truth is we can't allow ourselves to be and stay in these situations. If you think, if you think that you can handle temptation, ongoing temptation, you're fooling yourself. Don't put yourself in that situation. Joseph didn't say, well, it'll really be okay because, number one, there's a couple of trouble things. Number one, nobody's going to really know. Who's going to know? I don't have any family here. I have no family here whatsoever. They don't, I mean, nobody even knows where I am. I'm a slave. I don't have any pleasure in life. Uh, who's going to really know? Who, who would he say knows? God knows. His master would know. It's wrong. So how do we deal with temptation? We realize that trust will be broken. When the temptation comes, it's not just you. Number two, that sin is against God. He's the creator, the savior, the master. Don't even consider it. Leave the situation, the temptation, and get away. I told you a long time ago, back in the days when... There wasn't computers and pornography on computers. There were there was pornography in stores. You'd go to go to the stores and buy these magazines. I had a friend when I was in seminary. We had there were three of us that had a friend that got messed up, and and one of his problems was he would go into something like a Seven Eleven, and at that day and time there were just all kind of pornography type magazines there, and and he would say I, I do okay until I go into the store, and there they are. And you know what we said? Don't go into the store. You can't go into that store. You gotta go into like a grocery store, some other store to buy stuff, not that store, because there was a particular store close to where he lived. That we just said you can't put yourself in that situation. Well, let's see the last one in action, and that's the one is to, to get away, to leave. Notice verse 11. Now it happened one day that when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were inside. Now we've talked about this a lot of times. We read this verse last week. We did. We saw it on Sunday mornings and in, in, in this in the uh, in our temptation study, is that he comes into the house one day, and and what he notices that none of the other men of the household were there, and we said over and over, wonder wonder why they weren't there. Where could they have been? Well, we don't know where they they are, but. They're not the house because she probably sent them out. She probably had planned this, and she said, here's my best bet. I'm going to get everybody else out of the house, and when he comes in, he'll be the only one here. Remember this. Because we have victory doesn't mean the temptation will stop. Day after day, day after day. So now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were on the inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. Nobody else is there. Lie with me. Now, how many times has she said that? We don't know. We know she said it back over in verse 7. <laughs> she may have said it day after day. But something's different this time, because it's not her and other people in the household and her making this thing like, Lie with me. There's nobody else there. And what does she do? She caught him by his 
she's grabbing him. He's got a little, little coat, little jacket thing on, and she's grabbing him. Lie with me. He left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Can you tell him, him getting out of that thing and getting out of there? Second Timothy 2.22 Flee youthful lust. Flee. Get away. When you see youthful lust, it doesn't mean that you have to be young to experience this lust. It's the lust of youth, but all people experience this lust. So don't think if you're older, well, that doesn't even apply to me. Flee youthful lust. No, we flee it. Swindoll said, don't try to peacefully coexist with temptation. There's an old saying. Many times believers flee temptation, then wait around the corner for it to catch up. Right? (laughs) Do you think that you can actually handle temptation? You know, you you could put all kind of you could put all kind of alcohol right there. And I go, where's the Coke? I love Coca-Cola. I love Diet Coke. I love Coke Zero. I love real Coke. I love it all. That doesn't bother me a bit. But there are other things that will. And if you think that any of us can get in those other things and not be affected, we're fooling ourselves. Joseph knew that if he stayed in that house... What would happen? He'd get in trouble somehow, some way. God desires our purity. Do not rationalize it. What did he do? He left. He ran out. It said that he fled, left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Now, what happened? Well, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called them into the household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came into me to lie with me, and I screamed. Now, who's she blaming this on? Huh? Uh-uh. No, she's not blaming on Joseph. She's blaming on her husband. She calls in who? She called in the men of the household and says, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. Potiphar has brought in somebody to make fun of me. To bother me. He came in to lie with me. And I screamed. I don't I, I, Did y'all hear a scream earlier? The only scream might have been, come back here! You know, who knows? Who knows? She says, when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. She's telling people that he did what? He tried to what? Tried to rape her. She, I think she's embarrassed. I think she's embarrassed. He turned her down. How's she going to deal with this? How's she going to get past this? Because now she's mad. She's mad. She probably figured all those other times that she said to Joseph, come lie with me, and he wouldn't do it. It's because he really didn't have an opportunity. But she's made the opportunity. She fixed it where everybody's out. It's just her and Joseph. This is the time. And when he left, it's made her very upset, made her very angry. She's rejected by a slave. 
You ever realize that sometimes you do right and people lie about you? You do right and people lie about you? You do what is right and people say, you did this and you go, wait a minute, I didn't do that. Where did they come up with that? Who's, who's saying that? I did, I did what was right. We can do right and other people say we did wrong. Who knows? God knows. What happened? Well, so she left his garment beside her until his master came home. She said, wait till Potiphar gets here. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me, to play around with me. In other words, he was trying to rape me. And I raised my voice and I screamed. And he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Look, look, this is his garment. You know it's his garment. You know it's his goat. If you're Potiphar, what do you think? You think, how, uh, how, how did his coat, how did his coat get here? Why is it here? I mean, that's his coat, obviously. Why would he do this? I have trusted him. And I mean, I've trusted him in everything except food. I mean, I just I don't trust him in my food. I don't trust anybody in my food. But I've trusted him in everything else. How, how, could, he, how could he do this? Something's not adding up here. Look what it says. When his master heard the words of his wife which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. Who's the head of all the... Uh, who's the head of the... Who's the, the chief bodyguard? Who's, who do you think's over all the jails? Potiphar. He puts him in a jail. In fact, he puts him in a jail where... He puts him in the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. What do you mean the king's prisoners? What, what could that mean? Let's say that there's some guy out there doing something, just some peasant. He does something wrong. They throw him in some kind of what? Dungeon. But there's somebody who's maybe a high-up official or something, and the king decides to put them in prison. Do you think there's maybe a different place for them? We're going to find that there is. That's why it's called the king's, where the king's prisoners were confined. So let me raise the question. Why didn't he kill Joseph, the slave? Number one, maybe, maybe he had seen his faithfulness and he thought something... Something's not right about this. He's a faithful man. I don't understand this. Number two, maybe he hoped, listen, if I kill him, he's kind of a blessing, right? I mean, just about everything he does has been good. I don't, maybe I don't want to kill him because I don't want to lose the blessing. Number three, maybe, maybe there's something fishy here. Maybe he totally didn't believe his wife. Because I think in a normal situation, what would he have done? I think you'd have killed him, right? Don't you think you'd have killed a slave? I mean, we're not talking about a high official. We're talking about a slave who tried to rape the wife of one of the most important men in Egypt. Do you think he's just going to get by with this? No. Well, he throws him into prison. 
Potiphar, I think, says something is not right. Let me ask you, what if Potiphar would have said, no, I think everything's okay. I'll just, you know, I'll just, uh, oh, we'll, we'll hit him a few times and then let him keep on going. What would that make his wife look like? Make her look bad. He couldn't afford to make her look bad. He's got to do something. Joseph did what was right. And where did he end up? In prison. <laughs> Joseph could say, I, I did really great. I, the temptation came. I lived by the Bible. I did what was right. And look what it got me. Have you ever thought that living righteously in a fallen world, sometimes it doesn't turn out the way you think it should? And you say, I'm living for God. How come all this happened to me? How come I don't get all the blessing? I mean, I, I did what was right, and how come the guy who did what was wrong got ahead and I got over here? That ever happened? Do you think living righteously in a fallen world is going to get you blessed by the fallen world? Just because we obey God doesn't mean that everything is going to turn out what we think is right. Is God still with Joseph? Is God still working all the events? Yes. Even in jail. Notice verse 21. <laughs> but the Lord was with what? Joseph. Where is Joseph now? In prison. Think about it. Wherever Joseph goes, God is with him. Let me ask you this. Is God with you wherever you go? Will he ever leave you or forsake you? What should you fear? Hebrews 13. No, he's always with you. He's work, working all things, no matter what. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Now, what is the chief jailer going to realize? That everything this guy does turns to what? Turn, this guy, as he's blessed every time you turn around. He says, what's your name, son? Stand over here by me. I think I'm going to have you do this. Why don't you oversee this? Why don't you just stay right over here? Yeah, good gracious. Everything this guy does is fine. The chief jailer committed to, committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. Who became chief of the jail? Who became overseeing all the prisoners? Joseph. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. God is working in Joseph's life even when things look bad. Do you have any idea how old Joseph is at this time? He's between 17 and 18 when he's, when he's taken down to Egypt and thrown into prison. How old is he when he comes before Pharaoh and, and basically gets picked to, to do everything that he does? Do you know how long old he is? He's 30 years old. He's fixing to spend 13 years of his life in prison. Wouldn't you think that if you did what was right, it might not be that long? Sometimes things come in our lives and we go, I don't understand why this happened or is happening. Or, we, you know, if I'm doing everything that's right, I'm trying to live for God. I want my life to count for Him. I, I read the Bible. I, I, I do my quiet times. I serve. I do this. Why isn't everything turning out right? What we don't realize is everything is turning out right. We just can't see it always. 
Obviously, it has to be at exactly the right time for Joseph to be raised up to come to power. It has to be at exactly the right time. Joseph might say, well, Lord, next time, why don't you let me go for a longer time before I get put in prison? And then it just, maybe I won't be but like six months in prison instead of 13 years before the famine comes and I get raised up. Why is Joseph here? Why is he in Egypt? Why? Save his people. Remember we said... There were two reasons why God took the nation of Israel out of Canaan and brought them down to Egypt. You remember what they are? The obvious one is to, one of them is to save them from the famine. What was the other reason? Save them from the Canaanites. Because we saw what was happening to Judah. If they stayed in that land with those pagans, there's no telling what would have happened to the nation of Israel. So he says, I've got to pull them out of here. And I'm going to bring them back when the iniquity of the Amorites is full. When these people are ready and they've done all the evil they're going to do, I'm going to bring my people in and remove them from the land. See, that's what we don't always think about. You realize that that's, whose land is it? Who, the land of Canaan that the Jewish people are living in at this time, whose land is it? It's Israel's land. God's already promised it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. It's their land. He's going to take them out of it. He's not taking them out of the land and saying that's no longer your land. He's taking them out of the land to save them. And he's going to bring them out as a two million people to come and take the land. When people argue, whose land is it? Whose land is it? Whose land is it? It's the nation of Israel's land. Beginning with Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to David on down. Even to today. God is working his plan. So what are we saying? We've seen God's with Joseph, both with Potiphar, both in jail. He's always with Joseph. There's blessings, reward for his faithfulness. We see the temptation from Potiphar's wife. Joseph resists. He says, I have to trust my master. It's wrong. It's against God. I'm not even going to consider it. I'm going to get out of there. But she lies. And Joseph ends up in prison. That's where we stop. When we get to chapter 40... We're going to find that about 13 years have passed. I bet Joseph wished it it would seem that fast in his real life. Let me give you some applications. First of all, God is always with us. There's no doubt about it. Will you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? He's always there, even in the bad times, in the good times. There's never time you'll be separated from God. God is there. He's working all of His events. We can rest in God. We can rest in the events of our lives. It's security knowing that we are in the hands of the all-powerful, loving God who works all things together for good. That's what's so amazing. How do we respond when things go wrong? Do we say things like, why is this happening to me? When trials come in our life, according to James, the question is not why. The question is what? What do you want me to learn? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because the test of your faith works with patience. If any man lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. The question that you ask when the trials come in is not why, because he says it's to, so you'll trust him. You already know why. The question is what? What do you want me to learn? What wisdom do I need to gain from this? What can I gain from what's happening now? How do you respond when things go wrong? Do you think that God has deserted you? Or he's working all things? Second, be ready for temptation. It's there. It'll come especially in the area of sexual temptation because we live in a sexual world. That's our culture. 
God desires our purity. First Thessalonians talks about that. We need to be men and women who are pure. So how do we deal with sin and temptation? Number one, remember trust will be broken, that sin is against God. Don't even consider it and get away from the situation. Flee, get away. Because if not, you might what? You might fall. Now let me raise one other final thing. What if you have failed? What if you mess what if you mess up? What if you've already messed up? What do we do? Well, here's what we do. You confess it. First John one nine, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So one of the things we do is when we sin, the moment we recognize we sin, the moment we recognize we failed, we confess it. Number two is stop it. Stop it. Get away from whatever it might be. Stop it and go on with your life. Forgetting the things that are behind and what? Pressing on to the things that are ahead. And live for Christ even now. Romans 12. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. Say, God, I want my life to count for you. I want to, I want to begin to have victory in these areas. Our study in Sunday school is we, we're getting into the real practical part about God's provision and our responsibilities and all of these things. So we're seeing all that. But if you fail, confess it. Stop it. And live for Christ now. Some powerful stuff. We see Joseph who resisted the temptation, who stood what was for right, uh, but it doesn't look very good for him right this second. If we stopped right here, if you stopped right here, you'd say, bummer, bummer. Not a, not a good deal for him. He did what was right. Look what happened to him. But we already know that God, the Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitals, the personal God is with Joseph. May we today live for Christ, stand for what is right, trust in Him in the trials of life, and resting in Him in the temptations that come into our lives. Let's pray. And if you've got questions or comments, we'll, we'll take them. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for the life of Joseph and all these different things that we're seeing. And Lord, we realize that when temptations come, that, that uh, we can break, if we're not careful, we'll break trust and that it's against you and that we don't even need to consider it and we need to get away. And may we have victory, Lord. And if for some reason we fail, we want to confess it and then stop it and then go on to live for you. That's the plan that we want, Lord. Thank you for the life of Joseph. And Lord, realizing that you never, never leave us or forsake us, what should we fear? If things are bad or things are good, you're right there working all things according to the counsel of your will. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you and rest in you, that you're a God who loves us beyond what we could imagine. Thank you, Lord, for these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions or comments? Any input? Anything? Things are going to get better for Joseph. It's one good thing about the Bible. You can read ahead. <laughs> you can see what's going to happen. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay, anything? Yeah, yeah, Tim. That's exactly. Right, right. Right, that's great, Tim. You know, he, the the bottom line is, as a as a first as a as a new creation in Christ, we're born again, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and we're a new creation in Christ. But we still have the flesh, and and so as Paul says in Romans, he says, you know, I see one who wants to do good that there is evil 
in me. The evil is the flesh. So every one of us in this room, we have a natural bent to sin, to pull to sin, the flesh. And the flesh that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. So you've got that. At the same time, as we have trusted in Christ, we're a new creation in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the power to live righteously and godly. And so we can have victory, but that pull is going to be there as long as we're in these bodies till he changes these bodies. So um, it's a battle, and that's why we have to walk in the Spirit, and you will not what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. So good things, Tim.